mailbag. Nothing personal word of the day. It's another mailbag because I am still in Africa. I may be with the gorillas in Uganda, maybe rafting on the Nile, whitewater rafting somewhere. But I wanted to get these mailbags out because all of you are amazing. You ask so many questions on Twitter at David P. Sampson, Instagram at David P. Sampson, maybe on TikTok. Who knows? When you are on Apple and you review and ask a question. We got to get to it because it's a full show. And it's interesting because there's been a lot going on in the baseball world. And this, these are some specific. How did that go, Coco? Do you like that? These are some specific questions. Hi, David. I hope you had a good weekend. It was fine. Thank you. How much control do top MLB pitchers really have as to where they place the ball? Or if it were target practice, how accurate would they really be from the mound? On the flip side, how much of where a ball is hit in play is because the batter places a ball where he wants it? Ooh, do I love this question. We're leading off the mailbag with this. Remember that... Uh, brawl that took place with the angels now this is funny right because this is being released probably two weeks after i record it and the brawl just happened i covered it on the nothing personal that i think i did today and i'm wearing the same clothes because i didn't even take them off because we're recording this much later in the day though but this is something that people ask me all the time how do players get hit in the head how do pitchers walk batters with a four-run lead when all you have to do is throw strikes or an eight-run lead. So when I first started in baseball, I had the same questions. It was incredibly frustrating to me. I would sit and watch a game in my first or second or third year, early on in my career, and we would say to the pitchers, if you don't throw strikes, you're going to be sent down. Strike one is your best pitch. Don't tell me you throw 98. Don't tell me that you've got a knee-buckling breaking ball. Strike one is the best pitch in baseball, no matter what. Even if Tony La Russa doesn't believe it. Strike one is important. When pitchers are walking hitters, and these hitters are 200 hitters, or you've got a big lead and no one's on base, and we say to them, our performance psychologist says to them, our manager, our pitching coach, the GM, me, hey, give up the solo home run. It's totally fine. Do not give up a crooked number. That's what you say to your team. No crooked numbers. One is a straight number. Every other number after one is a crooked number. You don't want to give up big innings. The best way to not give up a big inning is to not have runners on base, especially with the way baseball is now, where the game is never in motion. Everyone's waiting for the two-run, three-run, or, or grand slam home run. And the way to avoid a grand slam is obviously no runners on base. So we'd say to the pitcher, what is it about throwing a strike that is the problem? So one day, God, I don't remember. It was Pro Player Stadium. I went to the bullpen and I was watching a warm-up. It may have been, do you remember a pitcher, Coca, a lefty named Michael Tejera? I don't know if you remember that name. He was a uh, he was a southpaw. He was on the World Series team, I believe, in 2003. And he was like a spot starter. He's what we called a 4A player. A 4A player is someone better than AAA, not quite a big leaguer, but you call him up if you need depth, if you have injuries, if you have lack of performance. He had the ability to get some lefties out. He was not overpowering. He was very small. He was only a couple inches taller than I am, maybe 5'7", five, 5'8". Five, anyway... 
So I had a conversation with him one day, and I, I've spoken to Beckett about this and, and Brad Penny and Pavano, Dontrell and I have had conversations about control, about repeating delivery. And it was pointed out to me the following. No matter how good you are, and this is where I thought of Tom Brady. Now stay with me. Do you remember in the NFL, they do these skills challenges where maybe it's only on a reality TV show, Coca, where there's a tire, like a moving tire, and you have to throw a football like 20 yards down the field into the hole of a tire as it's moving across the field, which is supposed to simulate a a wide receiver or tight end cutting across the field and leading that wide receiver. Why can't quarterbacks do that all the time? The best quarterbacks, you say the most accurate quarterbacks, which I guess is Tua now, not Patrick Mahomes, but the most accurate quarterbacks, in theory, you're not going to miss, right? Well, of course you do. And what I was told by these pitchers is that they are aiming for the middle of the strike zone every time. And they let their ball naturally move to try to paint the corners because the game is won or lost on the black of the plate, which is the, the outside of the plate is where, in theory, you are going to win because the only way hitters are successful in Major League Baseball is hitting mistakes by pitchers. That's it. If you ask any good hitter, I've never had any hitter tell me otherwise, you can only hit a baseball if the pitcher makes a mistake. If the pitcher can get it where he wants, there will never be a hit in a big league baseball game. Pitchers do not have the control that I want them to have or that you think they should have being professional pitchers, being paid to actually pitch. That is the whole purpose of spider tack, the whole purpose of rosin and Vaseline. You're trying to get movement on your ball. You're trying to make it so that it doesn't go straight because what pitchers can do is throw the ball straight and they would hit the target every single time. If you asked a pitcher on the mound with nobody at the plate, just throw the ball right in the plate, right a strike, they would do it 99 times out of 100. You're not talking velocity. You're not talking spin. Just, it's a get me in there. Have you heard that expression? We'd use that. What was that pitch? That was a get me over, a get me over curveball. That is just something, a get me over fastball. That is something when it's 3-0 in the old days when no one swung 3-0. It was, hey, just get it in there, strike. And that's why you rarely saw four-pitch walks. So my answer to you is sort of interesting in that pitchers do not have control of where it's going. And some of them make the big leagues because they don't have control of where it's going. And their fingers, their the ball comes off the fingers. Take a look at Pedro Martinez's hand next time you, can you Google that? Pedro Martinez's fingers are all bent. And so the ball does all these funny things. He can't throw it through a tire if you paid him. Now, someone like Ichiro did that TikTok video with millions of views where he took a ball and he was actually to knock over bats. He was able to knock bats over. Check that video out on the InterGoogle. He was able to knock bats over at the plate, like four in a row, like target practice. Boom, 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 boom. But when you're pitching and there's a hitter there, it's totally different. Do you know when we say there's going to be a simulated game? Have you seen that with, with players? Yes, uh, John is coming off the injured list, and he pitched two innings in a simulated game. That means there's actually a hitter up and they just keep a hitter in the box and the hitter then will hit or take four balls or three strikes, strike out, and then 
he'll be right back up there hitting. So it's not a real game with three up, three down. It's just you're pretending and the hitters are standing there. Often, we'd have people, and I never was willing to do this, way too chicken, Coca, to actually stand in the batter's box when a major league pitcher is throwing a major league pitch. I would not even stand in the batter's box. That's how fast the pitch comes to you. That's how quick you have to be to get out of the way. And that's how scary it can be, which is why hitters want pitchers to have control. They want pitchers to have some sort of foreign substance so that they're not worried about their life. So when you're at the plate, there are two types of hitters. There are guess hitters, there are contact hitters, and there are cerebral hitters. A cerebral hitter is just a guy who guesses right. A contact hitter is a guy who will get a bat on the ball and put the ball in play. Notice how we say put the ball in play. Notice how you as a fan say, how could you not get the runner over? How could you not hit a sacrifice fly with a guy in third and under two outs? How could you not hit it to the right side to advance the runner from second to third with no outs? When you are hitting, if a pitcher executes his pitch, you cannot control where you hit it. Now, hitters will tell you differently. Barry Bonds will tell you to your face. I knew exactly where I was hitting the ball every time. Why'd you ever hit into the shift, Barry? Hitters are trying to touch the ball. That's it. Now, we say, don't be pull happy. Those are hitters who are down on the knob of their bat, and they are opening up their stance if you're a righty, and they are trying to get late contact, so they pull the ball down the line. If you are trying to hit it the other way, you're trying to get earlier contact. Think about the physics of it, right? You're a righty. You're trying to hit it to right field. You're basically trying to hit it the other way. That's why it's called the other way. You're trying to see the ball to your bat faster. The way I'm describing it makes it sound easy. It's practically impossible to do. So my answer to your question is, in target practice, they'd be very accurate. Hitters don't ever know where the ball is going even when they say they do. And the truth is, control, command is what you call it if you want to sound smart. That pitcher's got great command. That pitcher has great command. That's what analysts will say who are getting paid seven figures. That pitcher has command of four pitches. Actually, pitchers have command of zero pitches. Hey, David, another question for your podcast. I was just watching the end of a game tonight, and I wanted to get your take on a hit-by-pitch. The Mariners thought it was on purpose, but it was a one-run game. If it had been on purpose, is that the opposing manager saying hit him? Who takes the blame in the locker room post-game since the next batter hit a two-run homer with two outs and the Astros ended up losing the game? Thank you for that question. I don't know when that was. That was a Mariners-Astros game. Obviously not from today. Must have been another day. That could be a question from a month ago. It could be from a year ago, but I don't think so because it had J-Rod, who's a rookie. But I want to talk about this because I touched on it on the show that you can go back to on June 28th where I talked about the brawl between the two teams, the Mariners and the Angels. I want to again explain how this happens. It is all planned in advance by the major league team. When you know that you've got to hit someone, 
There is a pitcher's meeting before every game. The pitcher, the catcher, and the pitching coach. During that meeting, you're going over your game plan for the entire game. You are going through the opposing team's lineup. You're talking about hitting approach, count approach. What are you going to throw in a 2-1? What are you going to throw with the man on second, one out, and a 2-1 count? That level of detail, that is what the catchers have in their mind, written down on their wrist as they go over the game plan. As they look into the dugout, not just looking to see whether the pitcher should throw a pickoff throw to first base, but sometimes looking for actually a pitch call. But it is all prearranged, all premeditated. Why do you purposefully hit someone in the ninth inning in a one-run game? Here's a surprise for you. You don't ever. When there is a hit by pitch in a ninth inning of a close game, there should never be an ejection. There should never be a brawl because it is by accident. Players do get hit by accident because as we said in the question prior, pitchers do not actually have total control. And when you are throwing a hard ball at 98 miles an hour into an area that is like a foot big, you're going to miss. And you've got hitters who wear this armor that lets them cheat, meaning they're more inside than they'd usually be. You are going to get more people hit by a pitch. No one gets hit in the elbow on purpose. No one gets hit in the head on purpose unless you play for Tony La Russa. Hit in the butt, on purpose. Hit in the back of the jersey, on purpose. A curveball in the dirt that hits your shoe, an inside fastball rising that grazes your uni, all of those are by accident. But you're asking me, who gives the news to the pitcher what they're supposed to do? That is the manager. The manager will go to the pitcher before the game not the pitching coach, and say, all right, we're going to be hitting this player in this inning. After a game, the only time there is an issue in a clubhouse, and by the way, all the position players are aware of what the strategy is. It's not like a secret just between the pitcher, catcher, and front office. Everybody knows. If the pitcher doesn't execute the hit by pitch, then you've got a problem in the clubhouse after a game. Then you've got blame where you say to the pitcher, what happened? How did you not hit the guy? That was our plan. So that's the only time you'd ever have post-game issues or blame. And so once we hit a player and the game ends, we then go to the clubhouse. We then get a call from MLB, whether it's Joe Torre or now be Mike Hill. We take the fine. The manager gets fined if he's ejected. We pay the fine for the manager and we move right along. That is how baseball has been played. People call it the unwritten rules. What is the deal with that, by the way? Who is anything that you do that's not written an unwritten rule, or is it just something that you do that isn't codified? How many things during the course of your day do you do that aren't planned in advance? I mean, no matter how OCD I may be, and how planned I am, there's still about 150 things that happen during the course of a day that I hadn't planned on them happening, but I still do them. 
and then there's 300 things that I do plan on doing and you visualize how you're gonna do it and then you don't execute it the way you thought you were gonna do it and then when people can't deal with that, that's when they get anxiety attacks. It wasn't supposed to be this way. Well, life happens. Life definitely happens. I was telling you something, Coca. What was I even, I just got detoured by life happening. And we were talking about something that I really wanted to address that I felt was important. And I really cared about it too. What was it? <clears throat> Welcome to a mailbag episode. This is nothing personal. This is what we do. Hi, David. I have a question. This year's Minnesota Twins are taking the first ball thrown by the pitcher and having great success. Could you discuss why this is effective? What advantages does the team gain during the course of the game? I know Minnesota had the third best park adjusted OPS, but do traditional coaches like or dislike this strategy? Next, as president of a club, how do you engage a manager who doesn't like this idea? Let's do the second question first because it's really awesome. So how often do you disagree with your boss or your supervisor, right? You have a plan. You're supposed to accomplish the following five things during the course of your day. Your boss comes in your office and you're on ESPN.com or what other website you're on, CBSSports.com. You're not getting done what you're supposed to get done. Your boss says to you, you're not being efficient. Your boss says, your boss says, if you don't get this done by tomorrow, you're going to get in trouble. And then you go home, you come back to work the next day. You don't want to do it. You get distracted. You get a phone call. You had a bad day at home. You had a fight with your spouse. Your kids are acting up. Whatever the case is, something happens that makes you not do what you're supposed to do. Here's my question for you. What happens if the reason you're not doing what you're supposed to do is because you vehemently disagree with what your bosses want you to do? How many times has that happened? Where it's not the distraction of life. It's that you actually have a different philosophy than the person in charge. What is your goal as an employee and what is your responsibility? It's very simple. Hard to execute, but very simple. You voice your objection and then you live and act on the result. You say to your boss, how about trying it this way, this way, and that way? I believe the way you're asking me to do it doesn't make as much sense as this way. Your boss says, thank you, you're doing it my way. Guess what? You have to do it his way or her way or their way because otherwise you're gonna get canned. What's the alternative? If that happens enough times and you're right every time and the boss is wrong, you're gonna be the boss. If you're wrong every time and the boss is right, you're gonna be fired. Why do I say you're going to be fired? Because human nature is as follows. When you are told to do something a certain way and you want to do it a different way and you're convinced that you're right, but you give in and do the right thing as an employee and you do it the employer's way and the employer ends up being right every time, but you say to yourself, my way would have been better. It would have been done faster, more efficiently, more profitable. Eventually, you're going to stop doing it your boss's way, do it your way and lose your job. That's exactly what happens in baseball. 
there are managers who are told by the front office what the plan is. Who's going to play, where they're going to hit, when they're going to pitch. Most managers understand and agree. Some managers ask for forgiveness instead of permission. I had many a manager not do what we told them to do, and the result worked, and they thought they could play the result. And we always played the process. We would sit down with the manager and say, that pitcher should not have been in in the seventh inning. That pitcher should have been in in the eighth inning. That hitter should not have been pinch hit for. Why did you save that bat? That's our bench bat. He's supposed to be used in that situation. You know this. But David, the pitcher I left in got the outs. Or David, the hitter I didn't pitch hit for got the home run, got the single, got the double, whatever the case is. And we'd say, no, we are willing to have the bad result for the proper process. Those of you who know me understand how hard that was for me to do as an executive. Because as a person, I'm a consequentialist completely. I want to be only on the result. If I do something wrong, but it ends up being right, does that make it right? It depends what it is, right? In baseball, over the course of 162 games, the reason why there is an analytics department is that more times than not over the course of a long season, you will be right more than you're wrong. And the analytics and the numbers will be right more than the gut feeling. I like the idea of having a manager use both, using a combination. But we tell the manager under what scenario the gut can rule the day. And there are specific scenarios where we are okay with the gut. Remember the World Series with um, uh, the pitcher who just hit Bryce Harper and uh, broke his thumb a couple weeks ago? Um, Blake Snell. Remember Blake Snell in the World Series for the Tampa Bay Rays? He was pulled out, and the Rays ended up losing the game and losing the series. I think it was to the Dodgers, Coca. And we all said, you know, I can't believe that Kevin Cash at the time couldn't keep him in the game. And I said on CBS Sports HQ and on this show maybe, I don't remember what year this was, so it may not have been on this show. I said, hey, the Tampa Rays are where they are because they don't play the result. They play the number. So having Blake Snell out of the game a third time through the lineup, no matter that he's throwing a no-hitter or one-hitter, whatever he's throwing, more times than not, that's going to work out for the team. And the bullpen who's being brought in in the exact order in which we tell them to be brought in, they are going to get the outs against the hitters where they're supposed to be facing them, and the odds are it's going to work. Think about what hitters hit. The best hitter is what, hitting 300? That means 70% of the time, you're good to go. And if they're on bases 450, like Barry Bonds like, that means 55% of the time you're seeing his ass as it walks back to the dugout. Just think about the numbers. So when managers say to themselves that they don't want to do what we want them to do, it's not going to last long. Now, you specifically were asking about taking a first pitch. That used to be a guarantee. You're in the ninth inning, you're down a run, you're taking a pitch. You're down two runs, you're taking a pitch, we need base runners. It's not just taking a pitch, it's actually taking a strike. What some teams do is they just take the first pitch no matter what. If it's strike one or ball one, it is green light after that. Some teams aren't taking anything. First ball they see because the theory that some people will proffer to you is during any particular at bat, there's gonna be one pitch to hit. We know from earlier in the show what that means. That means one mistake 
by the pitcher per at-bat. If you're not ready to hit that mistake, no matter where you hit it, because you can't control where you hit it, then you've missed the opportunity for that at-bat. Have you ever had that feeling? This is anecdotal, but it's so, so spot on. When a guy hits a towering fly ball, an upper deck home run, and then it goes foul, and everyone's cheering, going crazy. Ah, ah, ah. Next pitch, ground out, strike out. How often do you see that? So what the Twins have done under Rocco Baldelli is pretty fascinating. They actually improved their pitching staff greatly. They're trying to win their division. They're competing with the Cleveland Guardians, who clearly, clearly should not be where they are. The Chicago White Sox should have run away with this division. We'll talk about that another day, another moment. But at the end of the day, the Twins have always done things in an interesting way, but this is not one of them. Taking a first ball thrown, that's really old school, as a matter of fact, not that new school. You want to know the advantages that you gain over the course of a game? Zero. Over the course of 162, then we can start talking about how to identify whether taking a first pitch has given you an advantage or not. Do you remember I told you the story of uh, Marlins Park and the home runs and how Stan and Yelich wanted the uh, fences moved in because they thought that players, although we always told Stan, you're going to hit a home run no matter where the fences are, but there's something mental that when players get all of it in their mind and then it dies in center field or it's a fly out to left field, that it can be very upsetting and it hurts their mental game. Please bring in the fences. We did a full year study. We covered that in a previous episode, but we did a full year study. And my point is to tell you that it takes at least a year, but I could argue it's more than a year, to actually be able to show a player the way your ballpark plays or what the impact has of a fence being moved in or out or anything that you do to change the playing field. How bizarre is it? Side note, Coca. How bizarre is it that baseball is played with different dimensions in different fields? I think about that sometimes. I like the fact that you can do interesting things in the outfield. You can have different distances, but the bases are the same. The distance between the bases, that's interesting. That'd be funny, right? Like in in basketball, you can everything. The baskets have to be 10 feet. But you could actually make the court a few feet longer on one side versus the other. And you switch sides every half, so there's no advantage, right? No, you really can't do that. I wonder why baseball allows that. They really shouldn't. Would you think it's boring if all fields look the same? Do you think it's boring that all football fields look the same? Or all basketball courts look the same? Why would it be boring if all baseball fields look the same? The concession stands would be different. You'd have different food in Miami versus New York versus LA. Think about that. Riddle me that. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes. So doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress instead of perfection. You don't have to give up carbs or anything. And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M 
Com. And check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Can you help me understand why third basemen throw it into the dirt and make the first baseman dig it out on the play at first? Is it a strategy or can they not make the throw? Let me stop right there. Go back and look at highlights. There's got to be a YouTube on this, Coca, doesn't there, right, in theory? Go look at some of the best third basemen of all time. Take a look at Nolan Arenado, one of the best defensive third basemen. Take a look at, you could look at Mike Lowell. He was unreal at third, truly unreal. You could look and shortstop at Ozzie Smith, obviously a prime defender. They use the dirt in order to help the first baseman. The only thing that hurts the first baseman is the short hop. The short hop is when it bounces like four inches in front of the first baseman, and they've got to sort of figure out which way the ball's going to go, which is why you teach your first baseman. If you go look at video, if you're on Nothing Personal with David Sampson YouTube, you can watch what I'm doing with my glove hand, which is my left hand. You sort of swoop it. If you're a first baseman, you get in front of the ball. I would do this with uh, Gabby Sanchez and Logan Morrison. You take your glove. Derek Lee was so unbelievable at this. He was like, it's, it's an ole. It's like you're a, um, a bullfighter. You take your glove and you swoop it like you're, how do I describe this on, on a podcast? You are moving it from bottom right to upper left in an arc-like fashion, swooping the glove up, covering the ball, blocking the ball. The best infielders are the ones who bounce it right in front of you about eight inches to 12 inches and it's a soft bounce that hops right into your glove as the first baseman is stretching and holds out his glove. It's called a short hop. Now, I just told you that a short hop can be bad if it's right in front of the glove. But a short hop is also called a short hop. It should be a long hop. We're going to change it right now, Coca. We're calling it a long hop. A long hop is when you throw the ball from the hole, whether it's third base or shortstop, and you bounce it, and it bounces like three feet in front of the first baseman and bounces right into his glove. That is a strategic throw, not because you don't have the arm strength, but because of the angle of the play and the speed of the runner demands that you release it without the full force of your arm, without getting your legs set, without putting one foot in front of the other and getting your full arm strength, sometimes you have no choice. And what you often see are young players who make errors because they try to make throws that they can't make because of their position and that leads to a bad hop, which is then an error, which is why what we teach our infielders to do is to give the first baseman the best chance at making the catch, which is to make the hop as soft and long as possible. Criticizing NBA players who can't make a free throw. Why is that part of your question? I've always thought it would make it more difficult than the first baseman. And just like people criticize NBA players who can't make a free throw, wouldn't it be expected that an MLB third baseman can make the throw to first? I appreciate the engagement from you and nothing personal. 
Hey, thanks for that. Let's talk about the NBA. I had an argument with Larry Beinfest, who was our president of baseball operations. He wanted to hire an extra coach for like 30 grand who is going to go around and be a catching coordinator, like a roving catching instructor. This is before every team had those. Larry was like first to want that. And I was a no because the team wasn't making money and I didn't understand why we needed to have that sort of instruction. And he said to me, what was your view when the Orlando Magic hired a coach to help Shaq shoot free throws? Do I have my years wrong? When was Shaq on the Magic, Coca? Can you tell me what years? Because I'm wondering if I have my years wrong. Was it not Shaq he was talking about? Was it another bricklayer in the NBA? I don't remember. Whatever year. Could have been Dwight Howard, but I think it was Shaq. The Magic hired a coach specifically to shoot free throws and teach Shaq how to shoot free throws. What year was he on the Magic? Yes, he was in Orlando, but what years? I was with Larry in Montreal, Coca. I'm happy to have you come on screen. I'm asking you to tell me what year was he in Orlando? I know you have it. Just look at his career. Was it late in the 2000s? Anyway, let me digress while he looks that up. 1996 was his last year in the Magic, so I was not in baseball. So it must have been someone else, Coca. You were right. I was wrong. <laughs> he's mad at me because he's yelling at me. You know what's cool to do when you have your own show? It's not really my own show. We do it together. It's both of our. Trying to talk while you're being spoken to is a little harder than you think. Try that sometimes. Just You don't need an earpiece. Just try to have a conversation with someone at dinner and then have someone else to your left just talking in your ear in one ear only because I'm only wearing it in my left ear. So have them talk in one ear while you're having a conversation with someone else and see whether or not your conversation gets screwed up here or whether you don't listen to what goes on there. Or... E, all of the above. You don't listen to what's being told in your left ear and you screw up the conversation that you're having with the person in front of you. That's what just happened to me. I got totally distracted. Anyway, my view was I do not want to. And my guess is it was 1999 with the Expos and he was wanting to hire someone extra as the assistant general manager, Jim Beatty. And he did point out the fact that Shaq had his own coach in Orlando. And the point was, if you have a huge investment in someone, multi-million dollar investment, why do you not pay $30,000 in order to make something better, to make that player better? If you are trying to have a catcher improve himself and you need better instruction throughout your minor leagues and you're trying to pay a player at the minimum to perform like a multi-million dollar player, why would you not invest in more instruction? Now, 25 years later, guess what? There are so many people in the dugout. There's so many people in the minor leagues. There's so many coaches for each affiliate. There's so many specialized coaches around baseball, around basketball. Have you not noticed this when you're watching an NBA game? There's an entire row of coaches behind the bench, an entire row of them. And they're all covering different things. Baseball, it's the same thing. There was not an assistant pitching coach and a pitching coach or an assistant hitting coach and a hitting coach and a roving this and a roving that. Now, the money is so big, salaries are so high, your investment in players is so large, and you need to get a return on that investment, it requires you to invest. And you're investing in people to help. 
Was that even part of your question? Ah, NBA players who can't make free throws. Let me just end that there, Coca, and tell you that it makes me crazy as a fan. I was watching the NBA Finals. How, how do you miss free throws the way the Celtics would miss free throws? I don't get that. If you're Jalen Brown and you're going to the line, you got to hit your free throws. How can you be a Hall of Famer and shoot 55% from the free throw line? When you shoot 90% in your Steph Curry or Jordan Poole, you're the best free throw shooter in basketball, though the difference between 93% and 88%, right? 5%, that's not a huge difference. But I don't understand the bricklayers. So... I had a conversation, because you know NBA is my love. I had a conversation with Pat Riley about free throws. And he said to me, the Celtics shot 74% in the finals. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. The difference between, am I getting this right? Seven out of 10 versus nine out of 10. Do we all agree that's two points? I guess that really isn't a big deal, but it's two points. That's an extra basket. The Warriors, though, only shot 80%. I guess the big deal now in basketball is what your percentage is from the three-point line. I guess that's probably where the big difference is, which is how the Warriors won. My guess is they shot from the three-point line way better than the Celtics. But either way, Pat Riley said to me, and I'm not flexing Pat Riley. I was just lucky enough to get to talk to him. The Celtics shot 40% and the Warriors shot 37%. Wait, who won the finals again? Makes no sense at all. Did the Celtics win the title? I thought the Warriors did. Anyway, so I was talking about, about free throws. And he said to me that free throws are about discipline. Free throws are about repetition. Free throws are about mental strength. Practice. Zoning out. Oblivious to pressure. How many players stay extra and shoot 100 free throws after practice or before practice? How many practices in the NBA where they say practice isn't over until everybody makes 20 straight free throws? How do you simulate a game situation game on the line? That's the difference between players who perform in practice and players who perform when the lights are on. Everybody can hit a home run in batting practice. How many people hit home runs when it matters? How many times do you say about your favorite player, he hits a home run when we're down six runs or up six runs? When he's up to the plate and there's a one-run game in the ninth inning, he always strikes out. That's obviously totally anecdotal because the odds are, of course, he's going to strike out because those are the odds of failure in baseball. Free throws were always different. You should be able to shoot 80% from the line is what I was told. Every player should be 80% from the line in every situation. You're going to miss two out of 10 times, but 80% of the time, you're going to get the point. They used to have a rule in basketball. Do you remember, this is for all the old boomers out there, three to make two? You're going to think that's crazy for all the young people listening. The NBA used to have a rule where you had three chances to hit two free throws. Can you imagine that, how insane that is? Three to make two. That'll be three to make two. They got rid of that in a hurry. So I guess to finally answer your question, it's sort of simple. I would tell you that uh, it's so easy for executives to be critical of players. And it's so easy for players to be critical of, ex of executives because neither one of us can do the other's job. And when you're being critical of your players, your favorite players, or your favorite owners, or you hate your owners, or your team presidents, or you don't like your boss, why not just spend one minute thinking about what it is to be them? What it is to have to do the job that they do? 
All of us are Monday morning quarterbacks. All of us don't have to make a decision in the moment or perform under that pressure. We just get to criticize it. It's why as president of a team, I was always upset about people criticizing what I was doing, saying they could do it better. Are you sure? Maybe Jack Nicholson was right. Either mind your post or step out of the way while I try to protect you. All I'm doing is my job. It's not going to be right every time. And players are the same. They're not going to be successful all the time. Are you? Is there anything you do that's successful every time? It can't be. It doesn't exist. Yet we criticize when other people fail and we excuse our own failures with all sorts of excuses. Players do this too. So do executives and managers and employees and you and I. We all do it. Ah, the weather was bad. It was windy. Oh, I was too tired. I didn't sleep last night. Oh, I'm having problems at home. Oh, yeah, I don't feel well. My back hurts. My side hurts. My brain was, I had brain fog. Anytime we do something wrong, we use that as an excuse for our failure. What if it's just numbers? What if we said to a baseball player at the end of the game, yeah, I went one for four. Yeah, you didn't get a hit when we really needed in the eighth inning. Yeah, I'm a 250 hitter and I went one for four. Yeah, I'm a 250 hitter. I went 0 for four tonight. Odds are I'm gonna go one for four tomorrow and maybe two for four the day after. And guess what? That's a 250 hitter. But we need four people in a row to get hits. Now you're beginning to understand why in baseball they sit around waiting for the home run. How hard is it to string together four straight hits or three straight hits? It's really hard. It's way easier to find your way on base with a walk and wait for the home run. Maybe at the end of this show, keep a list. I like doing lists. You know I do. How about tomorrow, after you've listened to this show, just do it for one day. Keep a list of the things that you do that day and the things that you did that didn't work and the things that you did that did work. Everybody has failures every single day, but no one's doing commentary on it. Just think about that the next time you boo. All right, we'll have another mailbag episode. We have so many more questions to get to, Coca. We have some really good ones coming up. We'll do another one. I don't know when Coca decides, but for now, keep going. It's just business. This is nothing personal. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.